Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, just real quickly, the first three chapters, Paul is dealing with the, his, his personal reflections as he looks back at the ministry there. Timothy has come reported to him about what's going on at Church of Thessalonica. He's writing this letter. He's going to send it back with Timothy to them. So the first chapter, as he writes it, he writes, it, he writes to them, uh, as we see evidence of ministry by changed lives, and how many lives have been changed here, how they've changed, have been lasting change, uh, encouragement to them. Then uh, we're going to go into chapter uh, 2 here. We'll look at uh, the evidence of godly service through Paul's life or through uh, his commitment to ministry. I uh, looked at as, and as we look at that and look ahead to that and, and, and talk about the whole aspect of service itself, most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity. Paul was absolutely committed uh, to his service uh, there at Thessalonica. And actually in chapter 2, he's giving us his whole approach uh, to ministry uh, as, as it is, and again, as he anticipates and looked towards serving them. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading verse 7, I'm going to go down to verse 12. But we are gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own lives, because you have become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we may not be burdened to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and uh, glory. Uh, the evidence of godly service from Paul's commitment, his commitment to the ministry, his commitment to, to people. First of all, the, in verse 7 and 9, Paul is committed to sacrificial service. I'm just going to, due to timing, I'm just going to give this kind of to you real quickly. Verse 7, he was gentle. But as we were gentle among you, just as nursing mother cherishes her own children. Gentle, the definition of that is kind, is mild, includes the aspect of patience, like a nurse toward a difficult patient, like a teacher toward a disruptive student, like a parent toward a disobedient child. He, he was gentle. That's verse 7. Verse 8, he was selfless. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of, the, of God, but if you have a, your pen, you should underline these words, but also our own lives, because you have, been, have become dear to us. He was selfless. In other words... Probably the best way to put it is this. He was all in. He wasn't holding anything back. He wasn't holding anything reserved. He says, but, but also our own lives. This, this was a continuation of his thought of verse 7. They're gentle, the nursing mother cherishes. This is a continuing thought of that. He was all in. He was completely It was selfless service. It was gentle. It was selfless. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15, and he's, as he's talking about his ministry to the church at Corinth, just an, inter, an interesting little nugget. Sometimes when you read through the scriptures, you'll pick out these nuggets. 
This is an interesting little nugget that you pick out in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 15. And I will gladly spend and be spent, in other words, holding nothing back, for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I would very gladly spend and be spent for your very soul. Even though you may not appreciate me, even though you may not love me, I love doing it and I'm going to do it. I'm not holding anything back. Paul was absolutely totally committed. This was sacrificial service. It was gentle in verse 7. It was selfless in verse 8. And then notice in verse 9. It was intentional or on purpose. For you remember, brethren, our, our labor and travail. For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach the gospel. Uh, he, he, again, uh, this is another time in the, in the chapter. He repeals to their memory. This is a... He wasn't making this up. He was appealing to their memory. Uh, also, you notice it says, labor and travail, laboring night and day. Uh, this is, this is in, I believe, has more emphasis on the nature of the work. In other words, it was not sporadic. It was not occasional. But it was regular. It was consistent. Some even compare this to the uh, labor pains of the wife or the woman who bears a child. There may be that type of intensity I've never experienced that, obviously. Uh, one, one professor or one uh, commentator said the toil and trouble. It was sweat producing. It may be difficult, but he was, he was doing it on, on purpose, on regular. It was consistent. He also says laboring and not, not to be a burden. Uh, I believe this is a continuation of verse 5, where it has to do with covetousness, not a cloak of covetousness. He wasn't doing this for personal gain. He was giving just to give. Now, I said all that to get to this. So, what is that? To speak with authority without being authoritarian. He was gentle. He spoke with authority without being authoritarian. To serve as one with them, not above them. He, was, he could have called upon his... He was an apostle. He could have pulled his rank... But he, but he, and he was highly respected, but he served as, as one with them, not above them. He put their need above his desires. He was, again, to give, to give. He was serving. He was, it was a sacrificial service. He was selfless. He was gentle. He was intentional. He put their need above his desires. And to share himself in spite of difficulties, distractions, and disturbances. To spend and be spent for their souls. This is the, when we when we talk about the evidence of godly service and Paul's commitment to ministry, we see that he was gentle, he was selfless, and he was intentional. But he was shared himself, in spite of the difficulties, distractions, and distur- uh, disturbances that all often come along with ministry as it is as it is. So Paul was committed to sacrificial service. Secondly, Paul was committed to personal purity. Notice in verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, he's not making this up, this, this was a, uh, he, he was not writing revisionist history. This was truth. As God is my witness, how devoutly, justly, and blamelessly we behaved had to do with conduct, their conduct, how we conducted ourselves among you who believe. It was inherent in that idea of conduct. It was consistent. It was conscientious obedience 
and it was continued effort. It says we behaved ourselves. In other words, this wasn't just a one-time action. This was a, a, a way of behavior. This is the way in which he lived. Uh, as, we, as we talk about uh, uh, the evidence for uh, service, it should be a way of life. In Paul's case, it was a way of life. This is the way he lived. It was consistent as he behaved himself on a consistent basis. Three words, devoutly. Uh, some, I, this has to do, I use the word attitude. Uh, you could use the word heart. You could use the word mind. But he had, he was devoutly, uh, sometimes is translated holily or pure. The, the point being is that his inner disposition, his bent, the direction he was always already going was in this area of holiness or purity. He, he, how devoutly. He, he had this attitude in which he focused on those things that would bring glory to God and purity of heart and mind. The closest word we have would be the word pious. When it's used at its best sense, not the sense that, fake, that, that some use as a fake religion of outward show and appearance. Devoutly, the point is this, Paul was a real deal. There was, there was nothing fake about him. He had a heart for God, and he had a heart for godliness. This was ingrained in him. Devoutly, Paul was committed to personal purity. How devoutly to have a heart for God and godliness. Do you have a heart for God? Do you have a heart for godliness? Justly, this has to do with action or behavior, or sometimes it's translated upright, sometimes it's translated righteous, but this has to do with action, behavior toward other men, other believers, as well as unbelievers. How justly. To do what is just, right, true in all situations, regardless of the consequences. Sometimes we, you know, we say, okay, what's the consequences? Before I decide to do this action, I want to make sure what the consequences are. I, I think a good example, biblical example, that, that illustrates both attitude and action would be in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had erected a, a huge idol to himself, made of gold. And he made this proclamation, when you hear the music, you must bow down to the idol. Well, they played the music, people bowed down, except three men didn't, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the three, three of Daniel's friends. They got reported. Someone went, out of, maybe out of jealousy or spite, went and reported to Nebuchadnezzar that these three individuals did not bow down. Well, he knew who these men were because he had met them when he met Daniel, because they had, they had uh, refused to eat the king's meat back in Daniel 1 and chapter 2. So chapter 3, as he meets them again, he was really upset, and so he said... Maybe out of deference to them, or possibly maybe they misunderstood, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to play the music again and give you a chance then to bow down to this idol and worship. And this is their response. Verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What does that mean? Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you don't need to play the music again. We heard it the first time. And he goes on in verse 17. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. That's their attitude. They were bent towards God and godliness. 
they weren't going to compromise and bow down to an idol. Then notice verse 18. As, it's, and as I'm speaking here about the aspect of their action, regardless of the consequences. This is a great verse. But if not, in other words, if God decides not to rescue us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Regardless of the consequences, we will not bow down. We are not going to compromise. See, they were committed, they were, they were devoutly serving. They had a devoutness, a piousness that was real, not fake. They, they were doing justly their actions. It w- was an expression of their inner faith. And as they came, they did not bow down. And as you know, the, the king became very angry. In fact, he was incensed that he heated the furnace up hotter than normal. And the two individuals that either opened the doors or whatever it was to put the three prisoners in were actually consumed or killed by the heat itself when they opened the doors. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound and thrown in. And in a, a matter of seconds or moments, uh, the cords that they were bound with fell off. And Nebuchadnezzar himself was looking into the furnace, and he said, it looks like there's a, I thought we threw three men in there, and he said, there's a fourth. And it looks at it as maybe the angel of the Lord. He himself recognized that the fourth was the protection of God's hand upon them, and he called them back out. They didn't die. They didn't have any burn marks on them. They probably didn't have any smoke smell to them. See, regardless of the consequences, in this case, God saw to deliver them. But even if he didn't, they weren't going to bow down. Devoutly, to have a heart for God and godliness, to do what is just, right, true in all situations, regardless of the circumstances. Paul was committed to personal purity. Blamelessly. Accountability. Literally not able to find fault. If you're blameless, no one should be able to find fault with you. Not chance, but a result of a conscious obedience and effort. It just didn't happen that way. He was blameless. And if somebody wanted to come alongside and hold him accountable to be free from fault or guilt that could be attached to an accusation. He was blameless. Are you blameless? John Wesley was so concerned with building a righteous fellowship that he devised a series of questions for his followers to ask each other every week. Some found his rigorous system of inquiry too demanding and left. Today... The very idea of such a procedure would, would horrify many churchgoers, yet some wisely follow this, just such a practice. Chuck Swindoll, for example, has seven questions that he and a group of fellow pastors challenge each other with periodically. I've, I'm going to show you the next slide. I've, in, I've in, had those seven questions up there. These are for pastors, but you can make the application to you and your place where you serve and the place where you work or the family that you live in. These are the questions. First question. Have you been with a woman anywhere this week that would be seen as compromising? Have you done something that's going to compromise your testimony and call into question? If, if you have, then you're not blameless. Second question. Have any, have any of your financial designs or dealings lacked integrity. Has something, maybe somebody gave you too much change. Did you, did you go back and pay them, or did you walk away the freebie? 
Have you any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Third question. Have you exposed yourself to any explicit material? We're not talking just questionable in nature, although that's part of it, but something that you know. You, let's put it this way. Men, you, your wife couldn't sit down beside you and look at the same thing you just looked at. Or wives, your husband, you would be embarrassed if your husband or even your best friend that may be someone beside your husband would have sit down beside you and look at you just looked at or read what you just read. Have you exposed yourself to any explicit material? Thirdly, have you spent adequate time in Bible study, in prayer? Have you spent any time? Not just adequate. And how would you measure adequate? But have you spent any time at all in Bible study and prayer? And when you did, what did you read? Do you know what you read? And when you prayed, what did you pray? What did you pray for? Were you looking for answers? Or were you just going through the motions? Have you given priority to time priority time to your family? In the busyness of life is many times very easy to have them get what's left over rather than priority. Have you given priority time to your family? Next one. Have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? This is of course was to pastors that are calling to be ministers. You know, God may have led you, maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you work in construction. Maybe you're just a student. Well, have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? Have you been faithful to that? The last one, it's a great question. Have you just lied to me? I don't know. You can only answer that yourself. We don't like accountability. But indeed... We, even as we participated in the table this morning, as we examined ourselves, God is going to hold us accountable. If we don't judge ourselves, he will. These seven questions, as these pastors would seek to prepare themselves and be blameless, to truly be blameless, nothing can be charged to their account. Not only was Paul committed to sacrificial service, uh, committed to personal purity, but also he was committed to a paternal responsibility. Kind of an interesting verses here, if you look at verse uh, 10, or 11 and 12. He said, as you know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged any, every one of you as a father does his own children. Now it's interesting, he uses the illustration of the mother cherishes his own child And he says here, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, His own children. I'm just going to give you a couple explanations and we're going to talk about these words. But his own children. In other words, this is one-on-one. Even as he did his own children. Uh, I mean, there's overtones of some things about parenting here that you can pick up. But even as Paul said, he he was committed to paternal responsibility. That was working with these people one-on-one. And less an investment of time, and it's going to take an investment of time for you to be involved one-on-one. You're going to have to take a risk. You may get rejected. 
but he, he was one-on-one investment of time that you would walk worthy, walk worthy, of course, is an aim. There's progress there, the goal. There's habitual conduct of daily living in Christ, that they would walk worthy. This, his, he, as a father, is concerned about his children. Paul was certain, concerned about these believers. They were children on faith to him, that they would walk worthy, that they would progress and grow in their Christian life. He uses the same illustration or the same aspect of a father in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Anyway, let's look at these three words. Exhorted. means to, I believe, has the reference to, to instruct. Instruct with urgency to a specific course of action. Inherent within that word is there's an urgency, it's advice, it's counsel to, to a specific course of action. Many times as a father comes along with his children, he gives them specific instructions to urge them to a certain a particular course of action. They would be faithful to that. There's an urgency there. His instructions, his, his, he chooses his words carefully and instructs specifically what needs to be done. Encourage, the word comforted. Come near with tender words of encouragement, aid to uh, communicate, to come near, to come alongside. Uh, many times I found my, even myself as a father, uh, not only as a father, but even as a pastor, of, there's times when your child or a, a church member or believer doesn't need, need to be exhorted, doesn't need to be charged, doesn't need to be hit over the head with a Bible. They need to come alongside and comfort them and encourage them. He says to instruct them as a, and exhorted, he comforted, and to charge them. This is to correct them. This is a, uh, it's solemn, it's intense, it's, uh, it's beyond urgent. This is a serious warning, and he must balance the empathy with the necessity for the individual to change course. Paul was committed to ministry. He was committed to uh, Paternal, a paternal responsibility. He was committed to personal, personal purity, and he was committed to sacrificial service. This was the kind of ministry, or this is how he gave himself to that. Let me conclude with this. If someone libeled you this morning, could you appeal to your life as a believer to vindicate your character? I know that's kind of long, but that's what blameless is. That's what Paul's saying. As God is my witness, you remember. I'm not rewriting history here. That's blameless. If someone were to libel you this morning, could you appeal to your life as a believer to vindicate your character? Secondly, when's the last time you took a risk and not only shared the gospel, but you shared your life? Not only willing to give my soul, my soul for your soul. You know, you, you, we, in our culture, in our lifestyle, we're committed to a lot of things. But are you committed to a selfless service? Are you committing just giving just to give? Not looking for something in return? And lastly, how would you answer the accountability questions? If I was to put those questions back up on the slide again, how would you answer them? Would you answer them differently now than you did when we put them up the first time?
Listen, Paul was committed to ministry. He was committed to serving. And the evidence of that is how he served. It was a sacrificial service. It was personal purity. And it was paternal responsibility. He was fulfilling a responsibility. In fact, I want to say in that word paternal, it's twofold. It's not just a responsibility. It's also within that as a relationship. And the uh, idealist illustration is the father, the parent, who takes on that responsibility and also builds a relationship at the same time. This is what Paul was focusing on. He took a risk. Sometimes he was stoned. Sometimes he was persecuted. But he still took the risk and went to the next city and did it all over again. Invested himself in people's lives. Spend and be spent for their souls. Father, we pray even as we finish up our time here this morning to thank you, God, that we can come before you, thank you that we can look at the scriptures and at the word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of it. And we thank you for the morning itself as we are able to celebrate communion, as we sing these songs of power and of, of uh, exalting and, and glorifying your name. Indeed, Lord, we pray that as we seek to go out even this day, that uh, we will be committed to serving you uh, that sacrificial service uh, with personal purity and with that parental, that paternal responsibility and, and building relationships and fulfilling uh, and giving out the gospel. We thank you, God, for all that you've done, provided. Again, we pray you never get the place we take for granted, your grace that you've extended to us. If you're here this morning, and I, I, there's just a couple of visitors, and I'm not trying to point you out. I know most of the people here this morning but indeed, if you are here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, in other words, you couldn't participate in communion, not with a clear conscience, because you do not know Christ, but you would like to have someone show you from the Word of God this morning how to be saved. Is there anyone like that? Father, we thank you, God, as we go forward now, that you be glorified and honored in Christ's name we pray. Amen.